0: Morning, guys. Who wants to open and word prayer for us this morning? Any of you volunteers? Everybody shut off their mics. Well,
1: I haven't, so I will.
0: Good. Connie's Hem- a good prayer warrior.
1: Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful for the technology which allows us to get together. Grateful for the weather in whatever corner of the world we happen to be in, whether swimming pools or negative uh, degrees. Um, Father, we know that you are sovereign over all, you are in control, and we trust you for our daily bread, Um, much as we are in this class today to get fed spiritually. Lord, we trust that you will um, lead and guide Ray as he teaches and open our hearts to the truths of your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
0: Amen let's go ahead and get into the book of Romans, if you haven't already turned there. We're on this Valentine's Day, as I said in the email, we're in the heart of the uh, chapter, chapter 12. And I think the main focus of the passage that we looked at last week, and will continue this week, is the idea of biblical love. So we'll add uh, some of the things that we talked about last time. We're talking about a book written to believers, believers living in the first century, composed of both Jew and Gentile. I think that's very important, and I think there's no question about whether the audience are believers in the portion we're looking at, but there's a possibility that some think that maybe the portions that deal with the unbeliever are written to an unbelieving audience, but I've been stressing that the entire book is written to believers, some of whom we're going to look at a passage that talks about persecution. Some of them uh, would have died in this very structure that those of us that went to to Rome a couple of years ago now were able to, to visit. So the book of Romans, we've gone through... 11 chapters. We're in chapter 12. God has provided righteousness to both Jew and Gentile. That's chapters 1 through 8, and it's on the basis of what Christ has done, and we simply receive it on the basis of faith. And in the first century, and even today, as we went through chapters 9 through 11, we've been talking about different ways people understand the nation of Israel And in the first century, there was a question. They're they're the children of God. They're Old Testament uh, believers that have a relationship and covenants, promises. So what about them? Paul answers that question and vindicates God's righteousness in the way that he's dealing with the nation of Israel today during the church age. So it's the vindication of God's righteousness But we're in chapter 12, where now he is explaining how this righteousness, for those that have received it, what does it look like in life situations? Well, it obviously starts with God himself, and what that looks like is that we place ourselves like a living sacrifice on an altar and allow him to do as he desires in our lives. So we uh, looked at the first two verses, and I see these two verses basically essential in order to not only understand the the rest of the, the book in terms of living out God's righteousness, but uh, give us something of uh, the foundation for what we're going to talk about. Now, the Bible describes... That intimate relationship in different ways, Paul uses the analogy and the imagery of a sacrifice, but in other places, in fact, let me let me ask you all, in uh, what other ways does God describe that relationship that we looked at in 12, 1, and 2? Living sacrifice, yieldedness, what else? Anyone? You all are freezing today, huh? Frozen.
1: Do you mean in what other ways, in other parts of Scripture?
0: Yes, yes, in other parts of Scripture, other ways, other descriptive ways. Got you stumped.
2: Sons, heirs.
0: Heirs, sons. Yep. One of the main ways that Paul uses. What was the other comment there, Sharon?
2: Loving, I was just saying I've been uh, transcribing Romans eight. So that's where I get this from.
0: Yeah. And Paul likes the, uh, the description of in Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ? John likes to focus on fellowship, having fellowship, a tie-in to God himself. Jesus uses the imagery of a vine and the branches, connection, I guess you could say, uh, n- another image. And I think we're talking about the same thing in all of these passages. Paul uses the imagery here of being a living sacrifice. And he gives two aspects that I think are developed in all of these other ways of describing that relationship. And in Romans, not conforming to the world, that's kind of a negative aspect. Using more language that John would use, that would be keeping short accounts and confessing sin in order to remain in fellowship or to remain connected. In Romans, Paul uses being transformed, and other passages talk about being conformed to the image of Christ. That's how we should reflect Christ. As the world sees us, they should see little bits and pieces of what Jesus looks like, what uh, Christ looks like being transformed. Another image is walking, walking in the spirit, walking in relationship. And all of these, I think, is what is conveyed in Romans 12, 1, and 2. And right. after that, was that Jim? Yes. Go ahead.
3: In the reading that uh, you've given us for going through the scripture, Yep. I couldn't help but be struck there in Leviticus uh, once again of of uh, the just the, the horrendous job of the sacrifice of the of the bulls and the rams and so forth for sin and I mean not only is that, was that a full time job for those priests day in day out for all those people out in the desert um, in the wilderness. But what did the bull ever do to deserve to be to have his life taken away from him to pay yeah. for sin
0: to be slaughtered? You know, I, yeah. The
3: imagery there of Christ, I think, is really striking.
0: Yeah, yeah, Leviticus. If you have to look, you have to look at it from the New Testament perspective. Yes, very good. Uh, while you were relaying Leviticus, one of the things that struck me while I was reading through it was. In the building of the tabernacle, it involved a lot of technology, actually, and I was wondering how did they do that in that wilderness? When you mentioned the wilderness, it reminded me of the things that struck me. A lot of carpentry, metalworking, weaving, all of that stuff. How did they accomplish that in the wilderness? I'll leave that for you to ponder. But yes, Leviticus One way, and by the way, you can apply every passage in Scripture and should, and one of the ways of applying Leviticus is all of the things that are in there were to separate the nation of Israel or the people of Israel, particularly when they were in the land, from the rest of the nations. In fact, there are some stipulations in there you wonder, you know, why this? You know, why couldn't they eat shrimp? Why couldn't they do certain things? And I think some of them, maybe just simply to be different, that God wanted them to stand out and be different from the rest of the uh, the nations. So I think that's the major application we can draw as you read through the book of Leviticus. God wants us to be separate from the world in which we, we live in. A part of it. Not physically separate, but uh, different in terms of lifestyle, in terms of uh, how we live, and reflecting the image of Christ in that. Well, one of the points I want to develop today is the importance of this relationship to God, the the relationship of being in Christ, being filled with the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, being in fellowship, There is no way that we can do the things that are described in the rest of chapter 12, in fact, the rest of Romans for that matter, apart from being in fellowship, apart from walking in the Spirit, apart from being empowered. An example, I'll just jump ahead here. In uh, verse 14, how are you to bless those who persecute you? What is our normal and natural response when we are attacked, when we are persecuted? It's not one of blessing for sure. So it requires that we be in fellowship and walking in the spirit. Or how do we, in uh, verse 17, never pay back evil for evil to anyone and actually, these are kind of the more obvious ones, but uh, I think every one of these that we've already looked at, and the ones that we're going to continue in today, uh, the importance of being in fellowship, in the power of the Holy Spirit, because it's only in the power of the Holy Spirit are we able to uh, live that life. So the only way to obey Romans twelve three through 15 through 13, or anything in Scripture, is by being in fellowship, walking in the Spirit, being empowered, all of the images that uh, the Bible gives us in the variety of ways, being that living sacrifice. I like what an older saint by the name of Robert Chapman says he, in quoting him. Uh, he says the following, Seeing so, so many preach Christ and so few live Christ, I will aim to live him. Now, he was a friend of John Nelson Darby, and Darby uh, was frequently heard saying, he lives what I preach. And what we've been stressing in the book of Romans, good theology is incomplete unless it is lived out. And uh, chapter 12, through the end of the chapter, is how does it, what does it look like? How is it lived out? What what are the details in terms of everyday experience and righteousness being lived out? Yes, we have believed. Yes, we have trusted. Yes, we have been regenerated. But uh, the Christian life is not automatic. It takes the appropriating of the power of the Lord. So we're in the part in chapter 12 that deals, I think, with the church With the relationship, how does righteousness look in the church, in the body of Christ? When we complete chapter 12, we'll look at what does it look like in society. And it begins with submission to authority, but there are some other things in that chapter as well. Paul will deal with Christian liberty in 14 and the middle to the middle of chapter 15. How do we exercise Christian liberty in relationships to others? Kind of the spectrum of believers who are in different places at any point in time. Same chart except in outline form. We're looking at the application of the church. We've looked at the exercise of spiritual gifts, verses 3 through 8, and now we're looking at the exercise of love, beginning in verse 9. We looked at that last time. Now, it's not clear And maybe I'm making too much of a distinction here, but I've at least broken it up based on the grammar. We talked a little bit about the grammar of the passage. And based on the grammar, we have three sentences in verses 9 through 13. We didn't quite finish that, so we'll pick up where we left off. And uh, then we have, well, I don't want to say a drastic difference, but a significant difference in uh, verse 14 what was one of the characteristics that I mentioned of the grammar of those three sentences last time? Does anyone remember? Nope.
3: Wasn't it a, a lack or it was a, was it a lack of verbs or yes. something about participles?
0: Wasn't it? Yes. Yes. A lack of verbs. There's not a single finite verb in verse nine through 13. And then in verse 14, we have three verbs all at once and we'll get into verse 14. So, because of that distinction, I always look to little indicators to figure out the structure of a passage, and I might be uh, taking it too far here, but uh, anyway, I've broken it down, 9 through 13, within the church, and then 14 to the end of the chapter, uh, are relationships outside of the church. Although, it's dealing with us as believers as well. We looked at the essential exhortations, and if you're if you got the new outline, you'll notice that I modified it a little bit. Essential exhortations relating to love, so essential relationships to love, and the outline I gave it a better title instead of encouraging participles, focusing on the grammar 11 through 14 probably more descriptive encouragement for actions of love. So verse 11, we looked at that diligent service last time, and that's about where we left off. And I'd like to pick up in verse 12, rejoicing in suffering. But just to kind of catch us up again, the heart of the passage, it starts off Those essential exhortations, I should have uh, brought them out. But in nine, let love be without hypocrisy. Now, it's one sentence, and then we have two participles. Abhor what is evil. Translation summarizes that first one. And then there's a second participle. I think it modifies love. So I think they're related, and we developed that idea last time. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Those are aspects, I think, at least in this sentence— aspects of what it means to have biblical love. But I also broadened the whole concept of love, and I'll give you a review of that when we get into the end of verse 12 there. I think he's talking about agape love. That's the word that he uses. And most commentators take all of uh, verses 9 through 21 as a series of exhortations Loosely, some of them see them loosely related, maybe not so related. Personally, I think they're more expansions, or at least we can apply them as expansions of the whole concept of love. So that's why I've called it essential exhortations. Verse 9 focuses on that agape love. It's love without hypocrisy. In other words, sincere, not faking it. And then verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, or 10 rather, be devoted to one another. And we focused on the words there where it focuses on uh, the concept of phileo love or philas. Uh, There's three words in there that have that idea. So it's a family or an intimate love as well. And I think that's an aspect of agape love. Then we have these encouraging participles or encouragement for action. And the series continues, diligent service, verse 11. And then in verse 12, rejoicing in suffering. And I've already mentioned, there's no way that we can do this. This is not natural. This doesn't come easy. Uh, it, it's not natural to rejoice in hope and in the context. And I think it's related. I think they're Uh, They're related. In fact, we have a series of participles that make up verses 11 through 13. So this is part of that series, several of them. What did we count? 10 of them, I think. Actually, 10 starting in verse 9, I believe. But we have a series of these uh, without a finite verb and this rejoicing in hope, I think, goes along with in the midst of persevering because you have to not focus on the present. You need to need to focus on uh, the broader picture. If we focus on the present, we can get absorbed in. If it's in the midst of tribulation, we don't respond rightly. We respond in the flesh. But if we have a proper hope, proper perspective, knowing that. Not only is it going to end eventually, but uh, knowing the reason we can rejoice is because God is using it. God can use suffering. Now, we've talked about this concept before, particularly when we were in chapter 8, and uh, we had a very interesting passage there where we are given a lot of insight into how to respond in the midst of suffering in general and uh, suffering in particular in terms of tribulation. So this forward look enables us and helps us to have a proper perspective to persevere. And the next phrase, persevering in uh, tribulation, uh, we have just the basic word of enduring or persevering or just enduring it over time. In other words, waiting it out but in the midst of it, we respond rightly. Now, I'm going to bring out, not because it's necessarily uh, difficult to understand. We've looked at this word before, but the word tribulation there, uh, the reason I'm going to bring it out is because he's going to use a different word to describe kind of a similar circumstance in, a, in uh, the next passage later on. So let me draw out the word there, flipsis. We've seen this before used commonly of tribulation in general or suffering in general. In fact, this is the word that is used by Jesus in Matthew chapter 24 to describe the great tribulation that may not be too far away in terms of our time frame, but it's just the word thlipsis, tribulation. Now, I'll show you this slide again later on. I just introduce it here. So, we're talking about Suffering at the hands of enemies, at the hands of unbelievers, it can be in any form. In fact, you can experience tribulation within the church as well, within the body of Christ. Sometimes there's antagonism amongst believers as well. And there's lots of parallel verses that we could look up. Would somebody care to look up 1 Peter chapter 1 and someone else get uh, James Chapter 1, verses that encourage along the same lines, give us more insight and more understanding. I've
1: got 1 Peter.
0: Okay, that's Connie. Anyone got James? Don't be shy. Sharon's got James. Okay, 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. You got that, Connie?
1: Yep. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of their faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ.
0: Okay, notice the similarity he's talking about, and he starts the chapter out, basically, verse 6, with a concept of suffering. Now, that theme is going to run throughout First Peter, so it's a similar concept in First Peter, dealing with tribulation, using different words there, but suffering. And uh, I think Peter gives us the reason we can rejoice in it. Not only is it going to end, but what else? It's producing something. It's uh, working within us to refine us and or to uh, conform us to the image. So God uses suffering and that's the focus of uh, twelve twelve in the book of Romans. That's why we can rejoice because we know it's doing uh, positive things at least in us. And if we re- respond rightly, it can have an impact on even the unbelieving world. Similarly, notice James. You got to you want to read James, Sharon.
2: Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Okay,
0: in same theme, and you could read on if we wanted to take the time, because he develops more the product of suffering in the believer. Now, again, God works that product as we respond rightly, and we are in fellowship with him, and we allow him to work in the way that he has designed it, so in Romans we can rejoice in hope, not only the future but even in the present, and we can, and that enables us to persevere in tribulation. And another th- helpful thing, and I think the reason it's all uh, together. And by the way, I don't know if you noticed, but we have a series of triplets in several of these. Not all of them, but several of them, we have these three things that go together. And I've summarized verse 12 as rejoicing in suffering and uh, prayer is what uh, enables us to do that. In other words, dependence on the Lord, looking to Him, not responding in the flesh, but in fact, leaving it in His hands for however long and however intense and uh, Uh, Most of the time, the more intense the tribulation, the greater the stimulus to prayer. So, verse 12 is one of the series of exhortations that uh, enable us to reflect the image of Christ, to live out righteousness. So, it's not an easy life. It's a life that the normal Christian life is one of tribulation. We in America have in large measure been free of it, but historically, first century throughout church history, the history of the church has been uh, the church enduring tribulation and uh, nothing new to the first century believers, uh, maybe a little bit new to us. And maybe this is an encouragement in light of the Things around us to be prepared to experience opposition, at least if not outright tribulation in the culture we live in. So, may I
3: make an app? May I make a, uh, an application on a personal level? Yes. Um, well, uh, I think it's a good place to to remember this. You know what we've learned about the difference between happiness and, and joy. Uh, that, and I like this idea that happiness is related to happenings, external uh, th- sources of things in our lives, but the fruit of the Spirit is an internal enablement by the Spirit, and, being, and because of that, uh, in tribulation, uh, no one can take away our joy because it's produced by the Spirit himself. Uh, where our happiness can be taken away from us uh, because of external circumstances.
0: Yeah, very good application. Yeah, we need to be reminded. And we may experience more of this in the times that we live in, so we need to be prepared and be reminded of these passages. The First Peter passage, in fact, the whole book, uh, the James passage, the Romans passage here. Very good. And that brings us, I think... In fact, the way I'm applying at least all of these, including verse 12, is these are aspects of of love. And uh, if you go to 1 Corinthians 13, you can see all of these kind of listed. And let me remind you of what we've already looked at. We focused on the word, the agape, love, last time. And we looked at Oh, a couple of passages where it talks about it being supernatural in that. Now, we're not going to read these again. For example, in 1 John 4, that uh, God himself is the source of it. And that's not the only passage. or are several passages. So we can look at it as a supernatural love. We saw other passages that indicate that it's an unconditional love, just the meaning of, of the agape love. We saw in uh, the Romans passage and parallel passage, it's an unhypocritical love or a sincere, a real, a reality love. We looked at the same verse, verse, what is it? Verse nine, was it? Uh, It hates evil. In other words, it doesn't tolerate evil, but yet it loves and loves the sinner. It separates the two. And uh, we expanded upon that and showed from other passages as well. Verse 10, it's a family love, brotherly love. We focused on it. We saw parallel passages. It's an unselfish love, verse 10, and it's a love that uh, involves action. We emphasized all of 1 Corinthians 13, and now in verse 12, it's an enduring love. It's a love that endures persecution, and uh, this is essentially what First Corinthians 8 tells us. It's also sacrificial, 11 through 13, and uh, you see that in verse 12 as well. And uh, we could also say that that love is a love that meets needs, verse 13. So we have a, a string of more participles that expand this idea, contributing to the needs of the saints. And again, it's in the context, I think, within the body of Christ, and also, remember, it's in the context of spiritual gifts. Some are especially empowered to not only be sensitive to the needs of the saints, but this verse encourages all of us, not just those with the special gifts, to be contributing to the needs. In fact, we mentioned when we were talking about spiritual gifts, we're called upon to to essentially do all of the things that spiritual gifts entail, but some are given special abilities in some of these areas. So seeing what is needed and responding in a loving way. Every one of these, we have to get outside of ourselves. And if we are preoccupied with selves, we miss what other people around us need And not only are we recognizing them, but we actually contribute to them. And then we have the passage of practicing hospitality. Before we get that, one of the commentators makes a good description of meeting these needs to make another's necessities one's own. As, as to relieve them. In other words, just as we meet our own needs, almost naturally, in that natural way, we can uh, help others as well. Now, the word practicing, let me backtrack here, but the word practicing there is an interesting word. I'm going to call attention to it because he's going to use the same word elsewhere. We saw the tribulation, the word pursue, pursue. Now, I'm not going to expand it too much now, but the word pursue, dioko, is a word that has kind of a wide range of meaning. It, it has the idea of pursuing, as we have here, it's translated by the New American and Standard as practice, but has the idea of pursuing hospitality, and We've already seen this word in Romans 9, verses 30 through 31. Would somebody care to look that one up? What are we to pursue? Who's got it? A few pages back. I've got it.
2: Go ahead. 9, nine, eight, nine, nine
0: 31. 30 and 31.
2: Okay. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness attained righteousness and even the righteousness, which is by faith. But Israel, pursuing a law of righteousness, righteousness, did not arrive at at that law.
0: Okay. It's used two times in verse 30 and in verse 31. Remember, we looked at that. Same word as we have here. So it has this idea of pursuing something. And I don't have a problem with the translation. I think you could translate it practicing, but in the idea of it's a pursuit. It's something that doesn't come natural. It's something that we work on, and some of us more so than than others. So practicing hospitality, that's the making accommodation for those that uh, need it. And in the first century, there were not holiday inns. There were no inns, you might say, or places where you could uh, stay. What was available usually was not very nice. You know, the accommodations weren't very good. In fact, uh, there was a lot of, uh, problems in some of those areas, immorality and other problems as well. Nate, did you have a comment?
4: Um, Bruton does. When you have seven kids, you really have to work on hospitality.
0: <laughs> yeah. You can get preoccupied, right?
4: Yeah. And it's kind of crazy when you have people over. Yeah. <laughs> so you have to just, uh <clears throat> In your home, and not worry about it, and maybe put a show on for the kids
0: to to call. Well, I I remember, I remember the kids were part of the delight of the hospitality when I was there.
3: (laughs) Most of the time,
0: they were quite entertaining. Yeah, so it's not an easy thing; it doesn't come natural, and all of us have obstacles. And if you have seven kids, even if you have six of them it's not as easy, and uh, we have other families that uh, have similar obstacles, but practicing hospitality in the first century, it was a difficult thing, and today it's a little easier, but the need, I think, is still there. A couple of passages. Someone want to look up First Timothy six eighteen, and someone else, Hebrews 13, probably the best known passage the Hebrews passage for hospitality parallel passages six eighteen you guys are quiet today I got Hebrews Steve's got it no he's got Hebrews
3: I got first Timothy Katie
0: Katie, whose kids first are also delightful and add to the hospitality <laughs>
1: As Ruth Ann says, most of the time, <laughs> they are to do good,
2: to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share.
0: Ready to share. That takes effort, that takes getting outside of ourselves. Hebrews 13.
3: Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers.
0: There you go. For
3: by this, of have entertained angels without knowing it.
0: And the writer of Hebrews may even have uh, Abraham in mind, because he mentions Abraham in an earlier chapter, chapter 11, in some detail, where Abraham entertained uh, two people that turned out, actually three, two of them turned out to be angelic beings. So, hospitality, I think, is an aspect of agape love, because it requires that we get outside of ourselves. In fact, we could add it to our list. And everything in verses 11 through 13, we could call that sacrificial love, sacrificial love. It uh, takes uh, more than just a mild effort. And that brings us to the next passage And maybe I'm making too much of within the church and without the church or outside the church, 14 through 21, but it seems to be more relationships that are difficult, which would imply, although some of these you may encounter within the church as well. So 14 through 16, in suffering, and that begins with verse 14, bless those who persecute you. Now, Obviously, somebody assaults you, somebody breaks into your house, somebody uh, does damage to your car, uh, whatever, uh, whether deliberate or accidental, what is the natural response? It's not to bless. Uh, that's not what the flesh does. So when you walk in the flesh, this does not come. You do not see it. Uh, the flesh responds in a different way. In fact, he's going to deal with the whole issue of retaliation when we get into verse 17. We won't get that far today. So, bless those who persecute. Not an easy thing. Now, the reason I gave you those terms before, because the word persecute, which one of the words that we looked at before do you think uh, this word persecute is in this context? We looked at two of them, flipped. Flipsis and Dioko. It's
2: yes, Dioko.
0: Very good. A little bit That's of
2: a, what my Bible program says. <laughs> a
0: little bit of a trick question because you might think it Flipsis, the tribulation word, but no. It's the identical same word as pursue. So that same word can be used in a positive sense of pursuing, like that Romans 9. 30 passage, pursuing righteousness, or 1419, so then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. It's a pursuit, it's a positive pursuit, but it can also have that negative connotation where someone can pursue you for bad purposes or for evil means, And it can be translated and often is translated to persecute, to pursue in order to do damage. That's the word that we have here. So it's an evil pursuit in this context. And the only reason I bring it out is Paul uses the same word within the same context with uh, two radically different ways that the word is, is used. In right. fact, it is used more often in a context of persecution. The word is used 44 times, and 30 of them are used in this negative sense. Uh, right. Somebody was talking there. Um, Jeff?
3: It's
0: Jeff. Go ahead.
3: Okay. In looking at the way these two words are used, <laughs> ellipsis and dioko, I'm wondering if the ellipsis is more of a generic reference, whereas dioko seems to include. Some measure of intent uh, or drive behind it. Uh, tribulation is just stuff is happening, whereas pursue and persecute uh, seems to involve uh, a stronger
0: motivation. Uh, that's possible. That's possible. More deliberate, more specific, maybe. Yeah, I think flipsis us is used in a broader sense than dioko. So I think uh, your insight is probably a very good one. But the point being is this goes contrary, yet I think everything that we have in this chapter are things that are distinct and only capable for the believer, and this is what distinguishes us from uh, the rest of the world. We mentioned being different from the rest of the world, as Leviticus indicates, And God separated the children of Israel in the way they even uh, ate their food and down to every little minutia. In the church age, things that can distinguish us are qualities or characteristics that reflect the Lord Jesus Christ. So these are distinctively Christian qualities or characteristics. And in fact, I would say we are not capable of accomplishing apart from uh, the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Somebody got uh, Luke 6. This is the example of Jesus. And then we have an example of Stephen in Acts 7, uh, 60. Who wants to get those two? Steve, do you want to do that? Katie's got Acts. Is that Katie?
3: Yes, that's Katie.
0: And Steve, uh, right next door there. You want to get six, Luke six twenty-seven
3: and twenty-eight. Yeah. Okay. You ready?
0: Go for it.
3: All right. Woe to you when all men speak well of you, for their fathers used to treat the false prophets in the same way. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you.
0: Okay. Not just tolerate them, but what? Do good, Paul says, bless. So these are overt acts, these are actions, these are things that in ourselves we can't do. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can bless those who persecute us. And we will be called upon perhaps to experience more persecution. And uh, this is the biblical instruction and pattern and the way we are to respond so we can th- be creative and think of, uh, of ways of, of blessing. It just reminds me, I, I never had the opportunity, but my house was broken into, oh, I don't know, over 10 years ago, I think. I never encountered who did that, but I do remember sharing it, and do remember we, we prayed for the people that did it. And I think had I known who had actually broken in, the Lord would have called upon me to probably bless them in some way. But uh, that's what we have in this passage. It's not normal. It's not natural. It's not what the flesh actually does. But this is what Jesus instructs. And Katie, what did Stephen do in Acts chapter 7, verse sixty?
3: And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this,
5: he fell asleep.
0: And what was the sleep in that context? Was he snoring after he fell asleep?
5: He died.
0: Yep. It's kind of euphemism for they stoned Stephen to death, and his last breath was blessing those who persecuted Stephen in fact called upon the lord to forgive them uh, that reflects jesus on the cross when jesus says father forgive them for they know not what they do so this is not an easy thing this is this is something that comes only in the power of the spirit and he adds to that if we don't get it the first time and by the way these are the first 3 Uh, in this passage, starting in verse nine, that have verbs in them. And we have three of them, two of them identical, bless those who persecute, bless. And then he reiterates again, bless. And then he adds with a negative, do not curse. That's the normal, that's the natural, is to curse, but we're to do the very opposite. So what is love? Love bears all things. That's First Corinthians 13, 5 through 7, and that is a summary of twelve fourteen. So 13, 5 through 7, in the context, love does not act unbecomingly. Now, we may be tempted to act unbecomingly in the middle of persecution. It does not seek its own, and that's another natural reaction. We kind of seek our own protection, or our own name, or whatever, is not provoked. This is love. Uh, In the midst of persecution, we don't allow it to provoke us, Uh, does not take into account a wrong suffered. That's agape love. And in the midst of persecution, that's what we experience. Does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, and then bears all things. And we could even go on, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. So this is distinctly Christian and is evidence of biblical love or that supernatural love that we've been looking at. Then verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, we won't look them up, but if you want to jot them down, you can jot down some parallel passages. 1 Corinthians 12, 16, 26, and James five thirteen. not only give us further insight into this passage, but uh, reiterates the idea of identifying with others, feeling with others. Now, you might think it's easier to weep with those who weep than it is to rejoice. But both of them require the empowering of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes in our pride, when others are blessed, we might feel left out or we might feel uh, jealous. But we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. We identify with them and uh, experience similar experience with them rejoicing with them. So God's love not only bears all things, but rejoices with the truth. That's also the passage that we just looked at in 1 uh, Corinthians. Uh, that was, what was it? Verse Verse 6, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. So it's also an aspect of love. And that brings us to verse 16 we'll stop here. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty. I I summarize that whole verse on your outline sheet there in terms of the wisdom of humility. So verse 14, we saw the actions of blessings. 15, the feelings of emotion or emotions. And 16, the wisdom of humility. I think that's the theme. And in this case, we have four little clauses here, you might say, or at least in the English, be of the same mind as one another. That's unity there. Divided mind stands in the way of unity. Do not be haughty, in other words, a self-centered attitude, but associate with the lowly, in other words, those perhaps of a lower social or even intellectual status. And then he kind of summarizes it, do not be wise in your own estimation. So why don't we stop there, and uh, we'll pick up there next week. Let me just drop down to the uh, application, and we'll have our closing time. I've been stressing that it takes the power of the Holy Spirit to live the Christian life, and I think we have examples in this Romans passage that makes it very clear particularly things like uh, blessing those that uh, persecute us, but all of them to be done uh, sincerely and the way the Lord would have us do these actions takes the power of the Holy Spirit. Any comments before we, or other applications that one, anyone want to draw before we go into prayer? Okay. Okay. Before we go into prayer, uh, I'm going to have uh, Brandy. You you're with us today. Do you want to introduce yourself?
5: Sure. Let me see if it's going to work here.
0: Yep, I see you.
5: Oh, good. Um, yeah. I'm in the back bedroom because we've got company and kids and extra dogs today.
0: Okay. I don't That's know good. if anybody. I don't. Th- I don't know if anybody knows you. Maybe a couple of people that uh, go to the dentist.
5: So, <laughs> yeah, maybe so. So we're kind of new here. We just moved in August.
0: So give us a little detail about who you are.
5: So we, um, my husband and I are Ben and Brandy Stogsdale. He's usually in here with me watching. But um, we met you at the office, um, which was honestly kind of one of those God things. Um, Kylie, we had just hired her to be um, up at our front desk. Her parents work at the Baptist Convention of New Mexico and had been my youth pastor growing up. Really the only people we knew in Albuquerque. So we hired her. She was only there for a couple months before she got diagnosed with cancer. But while she was there, you came in. And if you hadn't, I never would have known who you were or gotten involved with your Bible study. So it was kind of neat timing. But um, Kylie, she, I'm sure some of you have heard about her, Um, Kylie Grace, the one that's fighting cancer. So that we kind of got thrown right into um, kind of a spiritual battle almost right when we started. So that's been something we've been kind of walking alongside with them. Um, we still haven't found a church because everything's still so new um, but the kids are going to Oak Grove we've got four kids um, ages 11, eight six and four right. and so now we're kind of just
0: you've got you've got competition we've got a family with seven and we have another one that, that has five already and one on the way
5: um, uh, <laughs> We better get going huh it's it's a lot of fun and we love it and this having this on zoom has been kind of nice just because you know sometimes it's hard when you're in a new area and you're trying to figure out and right now no one has children's church or I don't know it's been hard to get involved so having this has been a real blessing for us
0: praise the lord yeah how long have you guys been believers and tell us a little bit about you were in Farmington
5: (laughs) yes so I grew up in Farmington my husband grew up in Bloomfield and I came to faith at 10 at, um, you know, a summer vacation Bible school. I grew up in a, a family that was strong believers and was surrounded by, you know, Christian teaching my whole life. Um, in college, I sort of, you know, I, I my faith was strong, but I was in that place where I knew not to date and be unequally yoked. But then I met Ben and he was just so good looking and <laughs> 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 how that happens. And, um, When we first met, he had been raised Catholic. And so I thought, well, he's he's close. I can get him there. You know, (laughs) lots of things, but um, I ended up getting pregnant. And it was like the one of those shocking things for my family because I had been so strong and so, you know, careful. And that was a scary thing for me thinking I'm going to be raising these children with someone who doesn't love the Lord. Sorry, I don't know why I'm emotional this far into it, but it's okay. Over the next couple of years, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and I got to watch him completely transform. It was beautiful. Right. And through his faith, his dad became a believer, his stepmom became a believer, and we've now, we're 12 years in of watching them all grow and their faith grow. It's been really an amazing journey. Praise the cool. Lord. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> Sorry.
0: Now, do you have any prayer requests? We're going to go into prayer and we'll yeah. include you.
5: I would love prayer for Kylie. Um, I, I'm, I don't know how much you guys have seen, like, yeah. you know, kind of a small world here. So I know some people know about it, but um, she's only 17 and she... Her sister in September had a birthday party and shaved her head for pediatric cancer awareness because her best friend had died of pediatric cancer a few years ago. What they didn't know is as they were doing that and shaving their heads and raising money, her own sister had pediatric cancer and no one knew Wow! answered so because they had just walked that journey and it didn't end very well. It, it's even heavier, I think, but she's full of faith and she's strong and they're handling it well, but the prognosis is not good. Um, the cancer's everywhere. She's in her second round of chemo right now, um, at UNMH. And so if you guys would just pray for them, they're, they're, um, they're so involved with so many people that it's one of those stories lots of people are watching and it could have this great reach and so i just want their faith to stay strong
0: okay connie you, uh who we pray for we we normally for those of you that are new we normally pray for missionaries we got two of them that join us uh the Pertzers in guatemala and the uh, and sharon in mexico but we pray for others as well who are we praying for today connie
1: uh, today is Phyllis. Today's is Phyllis. Uh, she,
0: she's in yeah. Hong Kong. And give us a little report on her.
1: Okay. So the update that you sent, she's having a back surgery this Thursday, which I would think back surgery sounds huge. She's going, oh, nothing to worry about. But I think we should still cover that in prayer. She also is doing lots of hosting in the coming weeks. She said she's got three different groups. Um, an awards celebration, um, she's hosting her adult adoptees and her daughter's birthday. Um, so she has a lot of hosting to do this week, um, all of which I hope she's doing before her surgery, but I don't know. And then she also said she interviewed a teen-ager last week who was really amazing, who had raised money. I don't know if she meant for their particular uh, ministry, um, and this person had written children's storybooks, et cetera, and um, maybe she was just saying that to tell us that, you know, encouragement like her diaper story over, um, what was it, over Christmas when they um, got that big influx of diapers that they needed. Maybe this is another encouragement to say there are people out there who are supporting her ministry.
0: Yeah, she didn't mention it, but the ongoing, just the risk there, the risk there is very high. Mm-hmm. And by the way, that back problem, uh, uh, she doesn't think it's serious. It it was as a result of a fall this summer, and I think uh, I think she's already had an operation, and they're just, I don't know what they're doing. Something related, though. All right, any other prayer things? Well, let's do it.
3: Father, I pray for Phyllis. I ask for the back surgery to go well. And, and Father, I, I pray for that entire ministry. Um, very much in the middle of a hustle environment, and we just
0: pray for great effectiveness, pray you'll protect her and the entire ministry. Father, we, we seek for your provision there, and uh, pray that your name will be lifted high in Hong Kong through mm-hmm. her and this ministry.
4: And Father, I just think, I pray that you will protect her from infection, that you will guard the incision that, or whatever the surgeons are doing, the doctors are doing. Uh, Father, we pray that, uh, that you will work powerfully through Phyllis, that her testimony will be strong, and that uh, many will see the result of trusting in you. We just commit Phyllis to you. And Father, I also just pray for us. Thank you that you have given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that that we do not have to go through persecution or tribulation alone. Uh, Father, we can't endure it when we are carrying the weight by ourselves. But we can be confident that whatever you call us to go through, you will also supply all that we need in order to bring praise, honor, and glory to your name in the midst of it. It doesn't matter whether you have are having a hectic day with kids underfoot or surgery or whatever is going on, just a hostile, a hostile community. Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are adequate, you are sufficient for anything that we face. And may we be willing to come before you with outstretched hands to receive whatever you have for each one of us individually. We thank you, Father, that you have equipped us and we can rest confidently in that fact.